The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4. A, pilgr a pilgrimage song of David. I rejoice with those who said to me, let's go to the Lord's house. Now our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city joined together in unity. There is where the tribes go up, the Lord's tribes. It is the law for Israel to give thanks there to the Lord's name. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Sylvia. The New Testament reading is found in Hebrews 10, chapter, uh, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. Good morning, my name's Bob. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments, the gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing as we pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this family of believers who've come together to seek your face, to worship your holy name. Now, as your word goes forth, I pray that you'll shape us. You'll transform us and change us more into the image of Jesus for your glory, for your namesake, for your kingdom. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen, amen. You guys can take a seat. Thanks for being here. Welcome all of you joining online. My name is Micah, just like Pastor Jay said. If I haven't met you, I'm the worship pastor here at downtown. It's actually kind of recent. It just came on about six months ago. I've been a part of the New Life Family Churches for a while, but just stepped in, and I gotta say, I'm loving it. I love being here. I love getting to serve you guys in worship. And I just want to take, thank you, yeah, I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of you for welcoming me and my family, my wife Shannon, our boys Luca and Levi. You guys have been a gift to us. You've shown us love from day one. I actually met a guy the other day, it was really funny. When he found out I was a worship pastor, he got real serious and real intense and he looked at me. He said, you know, you know, I just wish that people would cling to God the way that skinny jeans cling to a worship leader. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I had to share it. I had to share it. I got my skinny jeans today, you know, still doing it, still doing it. <laughs> well, hey, I am excited about the worship ministry here. I'm excited about what's ahead. I'm really, I'm really excited to be able to speak to you today. Um, we've been in a series on the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent refer to a collection of psalms in the scriptures, Psalms 120 through 1. 
34. And these were prayers that Israel would have prayed and sung as they ascended to the hill of the Lord, the city of Jerusalem, the temple where they would worship. They would offer sacrifices and thanksgiving. They would meet together to praise God. And those songs would accompany them along the way. I'm a musician. I love music. I've spent my life studying music, trying to write music. And I've seen firsthand the power of a song. My wife, Shannon, years ago, uh, she had a family member, an aunt, Aunt Debbie. And tragically, Aunt Debbie suffered a stroke. And after that stroke, she lost a lot of her ability to function. She couldn't move. She couldn't communicate. She couldn't speak. And so one day, Shannon and her family decided to pay a visit to Aunt Debbie just to encourage her. And so they went to her house and they gathered around an old piano and they started to sing some songs that Aunt Debbie would have known when she was a little girl, actually some old hymns she would have known. And it was really miraculous what happened. Even though Aunt Debbie couldn't move around, she couldn't speak, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she starts to sing. She couldn't speak but she could sing. There's something about a song. It goes deep down into our consciousness, into our psyche. It shapes us more than we realize. And that's how these songs were for Israel. They were embedded into their consciousness, into their culture, and, they sh and it shaped the way that they thought about God. It shaped the way they thought about themselves, and it shaped the way they thought about the journey of faith. And even though we no longer journey to Jerusalem the same way, that Israel journeyed back then, we are all on a journey. We're on a journey of faith, a pilgrimage of faith. And so these songs still teach us. They still speak to us. If you think about it, we journey in lots of ways. We journey firstly to the, the heart and life of God and to deeper communion and fellowship and union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we also journey in another way. We journey in the here and now to our eternal home with God in the new Jerusalem, the new creation, when all things will be made new. All will be well. God will be all in all. But there's another way that we journey, and that, this is what I want us to lean into today. There's another way we journey. We journey every week to the congregation of believers and saints who worship God. That's what we're doing right here, right now. Every Sunday, we come together to worship God. And this leads us to our psalm today, Psalm 122. Psalm 122 is all about the joy of gathering, the joy of gathering to worship. That's what I want to talk to you guys about today, the joy of gathering to worship. So let's start off with verse one. Let's read this together in Psalm 122. It says this, I rejoice with those who said to me, let's go to the Lord's house. Okay, we have to stop right there. That verse shocks us right from the get-go. I mean, you're, you're telling me the psalmist was glad to go to church? He rejoiced when they said unto him, let's go to the temple? Listen, I'm a parent of young kids. I know a lot of you parents with young kids. You were not glad when they told you today to go to the house of the Lord with joy. You were taking those kids out, kicking and screaming. You were exhausted. Maybe you were fighting on the way. It's hard if we're being really honest to identify with the psalmist's joy, especially in the American church. We hear rumors of church attendance decline. And then streaming, you know, while a really powerful tool available to the sick, those deployed overseas, those who travel often for work, 
If we're not careful, it can become a convenience that leads us away from community. Relevant Magazine actually released an article recently and they said that 40% of self-identified evangelicals go to church once a year or less. That blows my mind. You're telling me half of evangelicals, people who claim to follow Jesus, maybe go to church once a year? And what that tells me is that when they do go, they're going out of obligation. They're not going out of joy. So why does it seem like so many in our culture are abandoning the gathering? Have we lost the joy? Have we lost the joy of worshiping together? You know, Psalm 122, it tells a different story. It gives us a different picture. It's a picture of someone who's coming into the temple, who's seen a revelation of God and has to tell someone about it. This isn't the pitch of a salesman who's trying to make the product look better than it is. This isn't propaganda. This is someone whose heart's been made alive in the congregations of saints who worship. Psalm 122 is the song of a person who's decided to go to church, go to the temple and worship. It's an illustration of what people of faith have always done and always will do. They've gathered at a particular place, at a particular time, with a particular people to worship a very particular God. So, so here's the question I want us to circle around today. Why do we gather to worship? What's the purpose? Especially with all the technological advances that we have today, what's so important about us coming together like this? And even further, why do we do it with joy? Why should we be glad about it? Well, I think if we look a little bit closer at Psalm 122, it gives us three really good reasons why we should gather and so I wanna read through those together today. The first reason that I wanna give you that we gather to worship together is to be joined together in unity. Joined together in unity. Psalm 122 verses three through four says this. Jerusalem is built like a city joined together in unity. That is where the tribes go up, the Lord's Tribes. So as Israel gathered in Jerusalem to worship, they were coming from different tribes, different backgrounds, different stories. And just like they gathered then, we gather now as the church from different tribes, different tongues, different stories, different experiences. And as we come into the gathering, we become one single whole. Somehow the spirit mysteriously and powerfully binds us and knits us together. And by the way, this is unity. This isn't conformity. This isn't everybody coming in to become one big blob. This is everybody coming in with their own unique gift, their own unique perspectives as a part of the body of Christ. You know, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Whether you like it or not, you signed up for a very communal faith. We're all in this together. When I was a young worship leader, and I just graduated from college. I moved to Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta. And uh, Atlanta's a lot like the Springs. There's a lot of great churches in Atlanta. And I started to notice the trend among a lot of other worship leaders that were friends of mine. Um, they started kind of hopping, you know, hopping from church to church, playing their songs, doing their thing, wanting to get their music out there. Ultimately, they were just kind of gigging it, right? And I think in their, in their heart of hearts, they wanted something really good. They wanted to make an impact. 
They wanted to make a difference. They wanted significance. And, and I wanted that too, you know? I, I felt the tension and I didn't know what to do about it, but something just felt off to me about that way of living. And so I had a conversation one day with a friend and mentor of mine and, and he looked me in the eyes and he, he asked me a question. He said, Micah, do you know what the difference is between a river and a swamp? A river and a swamp, there's only one real difference and that's boundaries. <laughs> A river has boundaries, and because of that, wherever a river goes, it brings life. It brings flourishing. On the other hand, a swamp knows no boundaries, and wherever it goes, it brings death and decay. And what, what he was trying to tell me was it, was, it was so important for me to dig in roots into a community where I could be known and know others, where I could be held accountable and help hold others accountable. And if I would dig in and set those boundaries in place, then there would be life, there would be flourishing from my life and ministry. Josh Moody said it this way. He said, you cannot love the people of God if you are not loving any particular people of God. Hebrews 10 says it this way, don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. So although some have gotten out of the habit of meeting together, we choose to commit to the relational life of the church. And so the gathering becomes this like stake in the ground, you know, it becomes home base for our life together. It's the thing that we keep coming back to to say, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. And I'm committed to the God that we serve. And by the way, this has major implications for discipleship. There is a big difference between information and impartation. I could sit in my living room by myself right now and with my phone, I could listen to every sermon I could ever want. I could listen to every worship song I could ever want, every Bible study, but it's not until I step into the family of faith that we can move from information to impartation, where physical presence comes into being, where moms and dads in the faith can lay hands on sons and daughters in the faith and bless them, pray over them, encourage them, speak life over them. That's impartation. And so we have to keep meeting together. We have to keep being bound together in unity. That's the first reason that we gather. The second reason I think Psalm 122 gives us to gather is to give thanks, simply to give thanks. Psalm 122 verse four says this, that is where the tribes go up, the Lord's tribes up to Jerusalem. Why do they go? Because it's the law for Israel to give thanks there to the Lord's name, to give thanks to the Lord's name. So as we step into the gathering, we step out of the world where we're tempted to believe that we are our own source, that everything we have, everything that we've accomplished, we have ourselves to thank for that. No, no, we step out of that way of thinking and we step into the gathering where we're reminded who our one true source is. We're reminded where our help comes from, where every good and perfect gift comes from. We step out of self-sufficiency and we step into God dependency. So the gathering becomes a sign of saying, I give thanks alone for all that I have and all that I am to God. And then beyond that, when we step into the gathering of worshiping saints, we hear the roar and the cry of thanksgiving shouts from the saints, the moms and dads, the brothers and sisters who've been through storms and have come out from the other side to say, God is faithful. When we hear those thanksgiving cries, it strengthens our faith, right? 
We will overcome by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We step into the community of faith and we hear those testimonies and we hear how God saved the marriage. We hear how, about how God brought a wayward child home, how he healed the body and we hear it and we say, if God did it for them, maybe he can do it for me too. It strengthens us. It encourages our faith as we hear the testimony of believers. C.S. Lewis said it this way in his reflections on the Psalms when he talked about releasing praise. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses the enjoyment, but it actually completes the enjoyment. Guys, this is why we Instagram pictures of our food. Well, why some of you guys do it, I don't do that. <laughs> no, you, you bite into that burger, you bite into that slice of pizza and it's so good you can't stay quiet about it. You have to tell somebody. You have to use every device that you have at your means to tell somebody about how good this is. This is why we don't like watching comedies by ourselves. You know, when that funny scene pops up, we've gotta have, a, gotta have a buddy there to jab and to laugh out loud with. It's just not the same without others. And so when we come into the gathering, we lift up our Thanksgiving praise together and there's something that is fulfilled in our praise as we release it, as we let it go. Colossians 3 paints one of the best pictures that I could give you for how the church should look. And this is what we're striving for. It says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude, with gratitude in your hearts. So we gather to be joined together in unity. We gather to give thanks. And then lastly, I wanna give you this point here. The last reason I think that Psalm 122 gives us for gathering is to be formed rightly. There's lots of ways to be formed in this world, but when we step into the gathering, we begin to be formed rightly. Psalm 122 verse five says this, it says, for there, the thrones for judgment were set up. There in Jerusalem, the thrones for judgment were set up the thrones of the house of David. And the message translation, it says it this way. It says, thrones for righteous judgment are set there, famous David thrones. So let's dig into this for a minute. That word there for biblical judgment, what does that mean? Well, this is, this is the definition I wanna give you. That word for judgment is the decisive word by which God straightens things out and puts things right. So that means when, when God speaks of word of judgment, it's not there to criticize, it's not there to accuse, to make us feel really bad about what we've done, but it's actually a word that when God speaks, it's a word that takes action. It, it takes what's wrong and makes it right. It takes what's out of order and puts it back in its rightful place. The best example I can give you for this is Genesis 1. When the earth is without form, it's void, there's darkness, and God speaks and he brings order out of the chaos, creation out of what is dead, right? Light out of darkness. That is God's word of judgment, healing, redeeming, restoring. You know, in our culture, we're surrounded by lots of judgments, <laughs> lots of critiques. Culture wants to shape us the way 
They want to shape us. But when we step into the gathering, as we gather, we're confronted by the decisive word of God, the only form of righteous judgment. There's lots of judgments in this world, but when we approach the throne of God, we hear righteous judgment. We hear it in all aspects of the worship service, from the invocation to the benediction. We sing it, we hear it, we pray it, we remember it. And by the way, we won't get this word on our own. Studying the scriptures by ourselves, detached from community, in our living room, it just won't happen. Culture will win, personal preference will win. And before you know it, we're following a God that we've made into our own image. It's dangerous to disconnect from the life of the church. Voltaire said it this way, he said, if God made us into his image, we have certainly returned the compliments. Wow. My wife Shannon and I, when we, when we travel, we love going to museums. And uh, one of my favorite things to do when we go to a museum is to go to the, the area where the art from the Greco-Roman period is, you know? And it's so funny to me how it's always the same. When you, when you, see, when you see a statue of the pagan god Zeus, it's always the same. They look exactly alike. It's usually some guy up in the sky with with, he's buff, you know, he's got a long beard and he's got a lightning bolt in one hand and a finger pointed in accusation with the other. And I think if we were left to our own devices, that's the kind of God that we would invent out of our own unsanctified imagination of a God who's vengeful, a God who's just waiting for us to mess up so he can strike us down. But when we step into the congregation and we meet with the one true God, we, we don't find a God that looks like Zeus. No, we find a God that looks a little bit more like Jesus. And his finger isn't pointed in accusation. No, that's Satan. Satan's the accuser. Jesus has his hands open, his arms open. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. We find a God that looks like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who at his core is a relationship of love, of mercy of compassion. And here's the cool thing. As we worship the one true God, we become more like him. Did you know that? We become like what we worship. What you set your mind on, what you set your thoughts on, what you live your life towards, you will become like that thing. But if we set our minds and we worship the one living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will begin to be transformed into his image and we will be formed rightly. As we worship rightly, we'll be formed rightly. So as we start to close down here, I've, I've given you three reasons why we gather, but I think there's still kind of a, an elephant in the room, honestly, a question we haven't answered. And that is, does all this really actually matter at the end of the day? Does it really make a difference does the one hour out of our week really make a difference on the other 167 hours of our week? Let's take a look at the rest of the Psalm here in Psalm 122, verses six through nine. It says this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for the peace of the city. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say peace, be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So what's the result of the gathering? Well, I think we're formed into a people 
ready to participate in the city's flourishing. That's what it's about. Just as the psalmist proclaimed peace over the city, we can begin to proclaim peace over our city. And the gathering, it's where we're bonded and formed into a family, yes, but not just any kind of family. We're formed into a family on mission. And what begins in the soul starts to extend to the social order. Our worship and our prayers spill over into proper action and proper love. We learn to love God. Yes, we learn to love one another. But as we do that, we learn to love those on the outside. Jesus says it best in Matthew 22. He says, yeah, worship the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. But, But don't forget, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what that means is we can't step into the congregation of saints and worship God with hands lifted up, stretched hands towards God, without also stretching our hands to the world in need. It's connected. They'll know we are his disciples by the way that we love, by the way that we love. It's Isaiah, after having an encounter with God in the assembly of heaven, falling on his face, worshiping God, giving thanks, and then being cleansed, being formed rightly. And then what does he say? Here am I, send me, send me. It's the apostles praying in the upper room, seeking the face of God, fervently praying and the spirit of God falling on them. But they don't stay in the upper room. They go out into the streets. They proclaim the good news. They preach the gospel and thousands are saved. It's St. Francis praying, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. So is it good to gather? That's the question. Is it good? Is it a good thing to gather? I would say yes. The gatherings where we come together, we're joined together in unity as a family. It's where we come to give thanks to God. It's where we come to be formed rightly so that we can be more like our God in heaven and love the world as we've been loved. As Pastor Blake comes and Jen and the team, I just wanna talk about how we can bring all this together at the table of the Lord. As we come to the the table, We come to the family dinner table as brothers and sisters. This is the place where we can be bound together in unity. We can become one family. So maybe today you're coming from a place where you felt excluded. You feel alone. You feel lonely. You don't feel like you have a family. Maybe today you're the one that's been doing the excluding. That's okay. We can come, leave that behind and come to the table and be bound together again in unity. The table is also the place where we can come and give thanks, right? Give thanks to our heavenly father for every good and perfect gift. And first and foremost, for the gift of his son, Jesus, who gave his life for us, who laid down his life for us. So maybe today you've been living from a place where you think you have yourself to thank for everything that you have and everything that you've accomplished. It's good. It's a good thing to return to the table of the Lord again and to give thanks to the one true source of life. And the table is where we come to be formed rightly, where everything that's out of order in us can be put back together again. It's the place where we can come and confess our sins and we can find the righteous judge who speaks a word of judgment and it brings us back into order with love and mercy and grace and compassion. And lastly, we come to the table of the Lord 
to ingest Christ, to take in the body, the blood, the bread, the cup. And as we do that, we become more like him so that we can be his hands and feet in the world around us, speaking peace over the city, peace over the city. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the joy of the psalmist. Thank you for how that joy teaches us and shows us that as we gather, we give you thanks. As we gather, we become a family. And as we gather, we are formed into a people that better loves the world. So anoint us today and help us to keep this all in mind. There are people around the world that risk their lives just to meet with fellow saints. And I pray that you remind us once again, what a gift this is, that we get to be together, join together to worship you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, can we thank Micah for leading us here to this moment today? Thanks, brother. And as Micah said at the close of this teaching, this is Jesus' table. This is where perfect love has been modeled for us. And we say that all who believe in Jesus are welcome here at this table. If you follow Christ as your Lord, regardless of your church affiliation or your background, we invite you to join in this table with us. And if this doesn't describe you, thank you for coming. Thanks for being here. We're honored that you're here. We encourage you to keep coming, asking your questions about Jesus with us, being curious about following him with, with us as we all do that together. And if you're ready to follow Jesus, we invite you to join in with us as we confess our sins, asking for forgiveness and trusting the Lord for salvation. Let's pray this prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And it is my joy to announce this good news to you. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done through Christ our Lord. So I invite you to open your hands as a posture of receiving this mercy of God. That Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, I invite you to stand and greet those around you, sharing the peace you have in Christ with one another. Let's join into these proclamations together. Jesus is here. His spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Amen. Let's praise him together. 
It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image and breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. So we remember this story, that on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. The table is a place of remembrance and encounter, and through this season, we're singing this prayer together. Let's join with the worship team singing this prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to meet us here this morning. 